0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is
1: Believe. Fellow Falcoholics, what is up? Welcome to the Dirty Birds and Brews podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Knight at Falcoholic. Kevin joined today by a very special guest and friend of the show, Aaron Freeman at Falc Fans, host of the Locked on Falcons podcast. Aaron, how we doing?
0: I'm doing good, man. It's, uh, good that we're finally post-draft, you know, we can get all these takes off, you know, about the actual Falcon players as opposed to the hypothetical Falcon players. So it's a long process, but now we're here.
1: Yes. Yes. You know, it's, I'm glad that we're, you know, out of the woods in terms of these ridiculous, you know, scenarios like, Oh, the Falcons are going to trade the eighth overall pick for Ryan Tannehill, you know? So I'm glad we don't have to discuss that anymore. Um, i'm sure i'm sure that
0: we'll have a couple of uh trade rumors let's let's call them uh over the next couple of months once you know i don't know some backup quarterback becomes available gets cut and some you know so well this is probably not the end of these wonky trade rumors uh but we'll we'll see what comes
1: yeah i mean it's like if you wanted it to, you know, to stick, like at least be like, oh, the Falcons are going to send, you know, unnamed comp- you know, un- unnamed compensation for Ryan Tannehill. But when you say the, the eighth overall pick, it's like, come on, like, come on, guys. Like Arthur Smith loves Ryan Tannehill, but, you know, it's, come on, let's be reasonable. You know, it, 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 he's going to send two first round picks for Tannehill if we're, if we're going to be realistic. So um, but we're here to talk about the draft class that actually happened, like Aaron said. So we're going to talk about the six picks the Falcons made. Maybe get into a little UDFA talk if, if there's anyone that's that's caught Aaron's eye in terms of uh, the guys Falcons brought in. Before we, we dive into those takes, let me bring you a quick word uh, from our sponsor today, BetOnline.ag, your number one source for all your sports betting needs, including info, stats, news, and scores get the latest odds and lines for this year's nba playoffs or you could bet on nfl futures including the falcons to win the nfc south or perhaps the nfc championship or perhaps the super bowl if you're just really you know out there but you know hey scared money don't make none right um no, i'm not recommending that you place these bets by the way just that you know this is on you but uh, no matter what you decide to do folks uh Bet online is always your sports information headquarters this season, as they have you covered for all your sports wagering needs, whether that's basketball, MLB, NHL hockey, all the way to UFC and boxing. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games. You can play right from your home. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Be sure to use our promo code believe, which is B L E A V, to receive your fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. All right, Aaron, you want to you want to kick this thing off with 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 our Bijan talk because <laughs> you know, I mean, you you started the Bijan train, but you know, I I like to think I was right behind you. So should we be taking credit for this or?
0: Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I thought we would only have to take credit for the odds changing, but now we have to take credit for the actual pick, right? You know, it was you, me, Eric, Everett. It was a whole bunch of people that very quickly, Adnan got quickly on the Bijan train. So we didn't have to do a whole lot of uh, selling here in the in the Falcoholic community and in, in the Falcoholic adjacent community. So, yes, I will take full credit for being in Terry Fontenot's head. With the Bijan Robinson selection, it always made sense purely from the you know best player available, and there was little doubt that Bijan Robinson was one of the best players in this draft class, and there was almost a guarantee that he would be on the board at eight. Although we heard some rumors that the Lions were interested in taking him at six before they moved back, um, so it worked out for the Falcons. In the end, they they get one of the top players, I, I think, arguably, or at least I would argue, the second. Most talented non quarterback in this draft class after Jalen Carter, and I know the selection of Bijan Robinson over Jalen Carter, um, you know, let's say bothered some local fans, um, but like you get it, like you know, I would have loved Jalen Carter, but at the same time, Bijan Robinson's probably the safer investment that high in the draft, um given, you know, some of the off-field concerns with with Jalen Carter, the maturity issues that people have raised over the last several months with him. Uh, those are non-issues for P. John Robinson. He's going to be an impact player right away for the Atlanta Falcons and, you know, really just lean hard on that run-first mentality here in Atlanta.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think it's sort of underrated that, Maybe the best thing for Jalen Carter, too, is for him to just not be in Georgia anymore. Um, Like, to get a fresh start elsewhere. I think that's an underrated thing for him. I think this may end up being just just a smart decision for everyone involved. Um, But, you know, we talked about it. Like, would the Falcons even have Carter on their board, um, given, you know, outside of the Deshaun Watson stuff? Which, you know, we won't really talk about that today, but it, it... outside of that, they've been pretty careful about who they've brought in like consistently. So it it seemed to me that either Jalen Carter would go before the Falcons, or if he was there when the Falcons were picking that he'd probably not be on their board because I don't see how the Seahawks could pass if, if you know that they, they don't seem to usually care about that stuff. So, you know, that that's what I was thinking, but on the topic of Bijan specifically, I think he's well worth the eighth overall pick. You know, we saw the lions sort of panic uh, with Devon Witherspoon, gone um you know I I I am curious now that what we know with them you know aggressively targeting Jameer Gibbs just a few picks later um if Bijan really was on their radar there it seems like that was the case and it's easy to see why Bijan's a great player we've talked about him a lot on here I do think the opportunity for him to be used you know in an LT sort of Marshall Falk role where you're, you're utilizing his talent as a receiver a lot as well as the running I think would be really smart We've talked about how, you know, athletically, he and Debo Samuel, very, very similar players. Obviously, Samuel more of a receiver that runs the ball, and Devo's a running back who catches passes. But, you know, I think the potential is there for them to utilize Bijan in that unique way, make him one of the focal points of the offense. And I think it's sort of underrated now that you do have three sort of pillars of your offense that you can lean on and force defenses to try to account for with Kyle Pitts, who hopefully with Ritter— can, can take off this year, uh, that he did not manage to do with Marcus Mariota. Um, I, I think I blame Mariota far more than, than Pitts. but some people, you know, think Kyle Pitts is a bum. I couldn't be me. Couldn't be me. So, uh, we also got Drake London who showed instant chemistry with Ritter. Um, and even, you know, was able to, to have some success with, success with Mariota, which really should tell you how good he is. And, uh, Sorry, Mario is just catching all the strays today. <laughs> <He really is. laughs> Poor he guy. Really is. He's on the Eagles. He's he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. He'll, he'll, yeah, be he'll be he'll be okay. Of Philadelphia. Mario Mario will be will be okay. Um, but yeah, I I do um, I love the pick. I know you love the pick, and um, I'm excited. I'm so excited to see uh, what what it looks like because it's just it's just so much fun. And number seven, I mean, get a, just let's go ahead and measure him for the Hall of Fame uh, jacket at this point. Number seven. So I mean, I'm I'm buying that immediately uh, just because seven's my favorite number anyway. But um. So now I know that he's, he's going to be an all pro. There's no question in my mind. We, as you know, the jersey number is the most important decision for, really for NFL is. players. So, um, yeah, second pick. It's an offensive lineman, Matthew Bergeron, a guy that uh, Adnan and I actually predicted on our live mock, which was great. That was the only pick we, other than Bijan that we got right. Um, and it makes a lot of sense. It does seem like the plan is for him to play guard, even though he played left and right tackle. In college, at the Senior Bowl, you were there as well. You saw him. I think we talked about Bergeron being one of the more, like, impressive uh, offensive lineman in attendance. They did play him at guard some. He he held up well, but you know, going to the NFL, sort of a different beast. Uh, but considering the competition, seems to be the heavy favorite for that job. And obviously, Nasty has a lot of the traits you like. So, what do you think about uh, Bergeron's pick at at thirty uh, eight?
0: Yeah, you know, I I didn't really factor Bergeron too much into the Falcons' second-round targets because I figured he'd be gone by that point. We heard rumors that the Cowboys were seriously considering him at the back end of round one, and I told Will McFadden the other day, it's like, you know, if the Cowboys are picking an offensive lineman, that that is as good a selling point on a player because they basically haven't missed on an offensive lineman in, in like a decade when it comes yeah. to, to drafting those guys. So uh, if you were... Skeptical of uh, Matthew Bergeron, this is probably the one time you would take Jerry Jones's <laughs> advice <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, on something, um, you know, in, in terms of uh, liking a player. So I, I think Bergeron, you're right, is is probably going to be the day one starter at the left guard. Uh, you know, I, I think we've seen Falcon rookies, you know, have up and down rookie seasons on the offensive line. You know, you go back to like Jake Matthews and Sam Baker and. Lindstrom dealing with injuries or, you know, just having up and down seasons. Obviously, Jalen Mayfield and and Kayla McGarry didn't have the world's greatest rookie season. So I wouldn't go into it expecting Bergeron to have, you know, this like really great rookie season like a Creed Humphrey or anything. Although no one will complain about that type of performance if he does wind up having that. But I think there will be a learning curve for him. But I do hope that he has this. I do think he has the skill set to make the adjustment. Uh, to the guard position and, and turn into, you know, a Justin Blaylock, John Asamoa type of starter that can, you know, play the better part of a decade here in Atlanta and solidify that left guard spot, which we just really haven't had stability at really since, you know, Blaylock, uh, you know, departed the team what, eight, seven years ago, eight years ago, nine years, nine years ago. Wow. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, I think Bergeron can, can really solidify that spot. And, and I think, what this move potentially does if Bergeron winds up doing that, you, like you'll get the stability on the offensive line that we just haven't had the last couple of years. And when you look at the Falcons recent success over the last, you know, 15, 20 years, it's almost always been those years early in Matt Ryan's career where they basically had the same starting five, his first like three years in the NFL. You had it when Dan Quinn took over where they had basically the starting same starting five, except her you know, swapping out Chris Chester for Wes Schweitzer from 2016 to 2017, but they basically had the same starting five in those years um, with Alex Mack coming in uh, for a couple of years there. And so having that stability on the offensive line, I think will do wonders not only for Desmond Ritter, but, you know, potentially whoever else the Falcons bring in at the quarterback position. If, You know, that is not Desmond Ritter as the the answer over the next couple of years. So I think this is a a great move that can really set up this team for a a lot of success in in the near future.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's it's I think it's sort of underrated. I think a lot of fans weren't really paying attention to Bergeron. Like you said, like if you ran mock drafts, he typically is gone before 44. So not a guy that was typically on the radar of a lot of people. Uh, A lot of people evaluated him as a tackle also. And I think a lot of Falcons fans were like, well, they're they're, they re-signed McGarry you know, they're not going to go after a tackle. I do quickly want to get your thoughts on, do you think the tackle versatility was something that they they coveted? Because, you know, another guy that was there was John Michael Schmitz, who I was a big fan of. I think I think you were a little bit lower on Schmitz um, than I was. But, you know, they did have, Schmitz had the center versatility, obviously. Well, probably was a starting center. Um, whereas Bergeron has more of the tackle versatility. Do you think that was, was meaningful for them and that maybe they want some long-term tackle insurance as well?
0: Well, I was lower on Schmitz just based off his college film, and then he went to the senior bowl and was arguably the best offensive lineman there. So any yeah. concerns I had about him sort of went away after after that point where he was that good that week. Um, you know, I think the tackle versatility is valuable because I think the Falcons don't really have great depth there right now, but I don't necessarily see a scenario where the Falcons are – playing Bergeron at tackle in the future. I I just think, you know, it's a possibility, certainly, but you have Jake Matthews and Kayla McGarry pretty much locked up for the next two years. And I would expect that by that point, you know, Bergeron will be settling in at the guard position and you'll just be looking for a replacement tackle for those guys potentially in, in, in three or more years rather than trying to reshuffle the offensive line at that point. But, you know, speaking of Bergeron's tackle versatility, going back to the senior bowl stuff like I thought he held up really well because that was a legit question for me watching his film at Syracuse. Like, is he going to be a tackle? Is he going to be a guard? Like and I thought he held up really well in practice as a tackle. And I was like, oh, he's going to be a tackle. And that was part of the reason why I did not expect him to be there at 44, because there was just so many tackle needy teams yeah. uh in this draft that, you know, could could definitely use them. I think I was consistently mocking him to this Steelers at 32 uh, because I had them taking Joey Porter Jr. at 17. They wound up trading up for Broderick Jones and then taking Joey Porter Jr. at 32. So I was on the right track. It yeah, just yeah. It was switching the players, basically.
1: Yeah, that pick connection is strong. So, you know, I understand. But, uh, yeah, I I think you're probably right there. A part of me wonders if, if there's, like, a sort of Elton Jenkins, like, pathway in his future where he gets... Put at tackle to cover for injury and then is like great and then they're like oh well we're gonna keep him at tackle now <laughs> like like goodbye whoever he replaced um but yeah I, it's funny because i think people like really sort of i guess I, the word i'm trying to say is like people treat jake matthews like he's like an inch from retirement first because he's because he's been here forever so i get it but it's like jake matthews is just like 31 guys like l- l- calm down like d- tackles routinely play to like 35 36 so like I wouldn't, you know, be itching to, like, replace Shake Matthews unless something, like, happens. But McGarry, they did just resign him. him. Um, they have some flexibility, I think, after year two if they wanted to get out of that deal. But, um, yeah, at this point, I think he's he's sort of penciled in to be the clear left guard of the future. But his tackle versatility is valuable because, look, you know, I do wonder... Because Jermaine is going to be the swing tackle, seems pretty clear at this point based on their moves. But um, you do wonder, like, if on a game day, if they have multiple tackle injuries, is Berger on the emergency tackle then? Like, does he then kick out to tackle and they put one of the other guys at guard? Um, he's, he's good and he's really smart. Right. So I wouldn't rule out anything for him, but yeah, I think left guard is the place to mitigate some of his weaknesses or especially early on. Um, but I'm just excited to, to have a, a an orange man, you know, in, uh in, in Atlanta. So we got to get those, those cute guys. We we were close to Garrett Williams, but just went a little too early. So um, <laughs> but yeah, third round pick Zach Harrison, the edge rusher from Ohio State. I don't think we ever really talked about him, so I'm curious your thoughts on on Zach Harrison.
0: Yeah, Harrison was always kind of the player that I was like, well, if they don't get a better edge rusher <laughs> in the in the first couple of rounds, like a Tyree Wilson in round one or uh, a Keon White in round two, you know, by the time we get to like three or round three or four. I could see them taking a Zach Harrison as basically like a consolation prize. So I, I didn't give Harrison a lot of thought throughout this process. You know, I saw the the tools and the skill set, and I'm like, this is intriguing. This is a player that typically gets drafted in the top 100 year after year. Um, and I don't see a lot of these guys turning into impact NFL players, but I feel like Harrison – probably is is better than I initially gave him credit for. And I think given the presence of Ryan Nielsen here um, that he has a better chance than maybe other players of similar body type, these sort of, you know, classic, I can't remember who I heard talking about it. Maybe it was like Nate Tice or Robert Mays or somebody like that, but they basically someone on a podcast over the last couple of weeks was basically saying, and I think they were talking about Tyree Wilson, or Miles Murphy, I think, uh, and they were talking about. Oh, I know now. I remember. I'm sorry. I'm just going through. It was Deontay Lee on on the Athletic podcast, yeah, yeah. and he was basically talking about like, you know, when he was talking about Miles Murphy, you know, these six foot five, two hundred and seventy five pound defensive ends have been in vogue in the NFL for like forty years, and there's a reason for that. And for that reason, I, I expect Zach Harrison, you know, to be a solid NFL player. It's just a question of does he live up to the hype more in the NFL than he had at Ohio state, where he was a highly rated recruit. um, I think the top recruit over guys like Garrett Wilson, when he showed up uh, on campus and, you know, given Ohio state's recent history of being able to produce high level NFL players, you know, I wonder maybe they were a little bit left wanting by him, not necessarily living up to the chase young, Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa lineage uh, in that regard. But, I certainly could see a scenario where, you know, his best football is ahead of him and he winds up, you know, being a much better NFL player than maybe he was a a college player.
1: Yeah. You wonder, because you're right. Like I remember reading stuff about him years ago where it's like, Oh, the next, you know, Chase Young, the next Bosa brother, this is the next guy in the pipeline, Zach, Zach Harrison, you know? And like, that's a lot of pressure obviously um, for someone coming out of high school. And, and you look at his stats, like, his pressure numbers are actually really good, Mm -hmm. but the sacks just weren't there. So there's certainly something there. Like he's someone who's creating pressure, but just not finishing. So maybe that's coachable, right? Maybe that's something you can coach up. But even if he's just a high level pressure player at the NFL level, level, the Falcons have guys that can finish like Arnold Epicati. That was one of his specialties in college was he was, he cleaned up a lot of plays because he's so, you know, he's got that bend, he's explosive. He's, you know, really good in pursuit. Um, and Zach Harrison, I think people think he's super raw. I think as a pass rusher, he's certainly got work to do. But as a run defender, he's ready. Um, he can play. So I'm curious, like, how early he gets active on game days because the pass rushing is still a work in progress. But the natural talent's there. His ability as a run defender's there. Um, but the Falcons have so many edge rushers now on the roster. They're Like, I have them keeping six in my... my uh, Roster projection, which is a lot of edge rushers to keep. They just that that's how many they have. That's how many I think they're gonna have to keep. Um, but you, you know I sort of wonder how early he gets on the field. But you know, maybe he's just a long term Calais Campbell successor, maybe he's the Calais Campbell backup in case God forbid Campbell misses any time. But um, you know, I think it's a really intriguing one, and yeah, it, it's like if you can't get Terry Wilson, you can't get Miles Murphy, like Zach Harrison has those similar traits. But he's only going to cost a third-round pick, so I, I do like. I think the value here was appropriate for Harrison, and um, this is Ryan Nielsen's chance. Like, show us you're, you were known for doing this in New Orleans. Now bring it here to Atlanta, where we've been notorious for not doing this. So yeah. um, let's 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 see what happens. I'm excited to to see what he could turn into. Um, next pick, maybe my favorite one, um, Clark Phillips the third at corner. uh guy that was getting mocked in the first round early in the off season ended up falling into the into the second round mostly um after he measured in a little bit you know under what he was listed you know college teams like to lie folks but um <laughs> it, it is what it is right but uh yeah i'm curious what you think about the clark phillips pick i pick i think it's one of my my favorite ones in this class
0: yeah for similar things i said about some of the earlier picks i, I wasn't really putting him on the Falcons radar like I had him on the Falcons radar very early in the process mm-hmm. when he was being mocked as a late first early second round guy and I'm like okay with uh Dean Pease in the building like that's a that's a Dean Pease corner right with Clark Phillips smart tough uh you know plays big for his size that's the type of guy that Dean Pease is going to want on the outside and then we hired now Nielsen I'm like okay well you know, looking at the Saints, they tend to like you know bigger, more athletic, longer guys. Uh, so maybe Clark Phillips is not in the mix. And you know, conversations we had, Kevin, uh, you know, in the weeks prior to the draft, sort of thinking, okay, corner's probably gonna wait until like the third or fourth round, and by that point, Clark Phillips is gonna be gone, right? Yeah. And yeah. so, like, he, you know, even though he'd be a, a good, you know, addition to the nickel, and I thought that was probably the direction that the Falcons would want to go with. You know, someone who had that ability to play inside as opposed to outside, uh, given the Jeff Akuta trade. Um, You know, Clark Phillips wasn't necessarily a guy that I was factoring in as a future Falcon because I just figured he would be gone. And then the fact that he fell to the the fourth round due to the, the height, the length, the, um, lack of speed and we know that corners you know with the exception of Christian Gonzalez he seems to be the exception that we know like corners tend to get drafted higher you know the taller the faster and the longer they are uh, and and those are just boxes that Clark Phillips is, is never going to check but he more than makes up for it in the other areas with the instincts and the toughness and the technique and all those various things that you want to see from corners rather than just basically being these big long athletes uh, that you have to coach up so I think Clark Phillips is going to be a guy that can come in right away and, and win that nickel cornerback job. I, I think he, he and D Alford and potentially Mike Hughes, are, are that's going to be one of the probably most compelling camp battles this summer. And I think, you know, as they often say, iron sharpens iron. And I think, you know, the, the, whoever emerges as that competition, uh, you know, should be a, a pretty solid nickel cornerbacks. Uh, so, you know, anybody that was, you know, a little bit disheartened to see Isaiah Oliver walk. I I feel like the Falcons have, you know, brought in enough talent, particularly with Clark Phillips um, to feel pretty good about, you know, filling in those shoes. And so it would not shock me at all that Clark Phillips, you know, is the week one starter at that nickel cornerback spot. Uh, in, In fact, I think I did a recent depth chart on lockdown Falcons and I had him, you know, number one at that spot, uh, with the depth chart at this point in time. So um, I'm eager to see what he does in, in camp later this summer.
1: Yeah. With, with Phillips, it's like, he just hasn't really played a lot of slot. Didn't th- I mean, he was basically an outside exclusive corner at Utah, which makes sense when he's, you know, the PAC 12 defensive player of the year consensus, all American. I mean, he held up against guys like Drake London, who has obviously like a five, six inch height advantage over him. He, he held up against Jordan Addison, your guy, uh, you know, um, he did not shy away from, NFL caliber, first round NFL caliber talent. And he he held up against those guys. And that he apparently, by all accounts, just eats, breathes, sleeps football. Uh, I think there was, what was it they were saying in the press conference was like, oh, yeah, before we even got off the phone, he was like, okay, so when's the playbook coming? You know, it's like, bro, like, ha- have a drink or something. Like, <laughs> it's okay, you know, like, it's okay to celebrate. But um, just a guy I think fans are going to love. I think it was one of the best value picks in this draft, um, not just for the Falcons, but for any team. And I do wonder, like, is this a guy, like, it, it doesn't happen often. Every once in a while you get, you know, some short kings on the outside, like like DJ Reed. So I do wonder if there's a slight chance that he could be the next DJ Reed, who's a, a, just a 5'9 corner, who defies all expectations and just is is an outside corner. Um, you know, b- very similar measurables to to Reed. I think Phillips has one inch shorter arms or something like that, so it's a little bit shorter arms. But physical... You know, I know people were like, "Oh, is he can is he big enough to hold up and run support? Watch his tape." And you tell me if he can't hold up and run support because he's a good, good run support player, like he just is. Um, and 185 at 5'9 is thick too. Like you, you think about that, it's like, oh, that's kind of small. 5'9, no, he he he's big for that size. So I love Clark Phillips. That like, yeah, and like you're saying, I would not be shocked if he if he's a starter by week one. I think he'll be a starter by week 17. At the, you know, by the end of the year, he'll be starting. So, um. You know, it may displace UCF legend Mike Hughes from the starting lineup, but um, you know, it, it it is what it is. Mike Hughes, honestly great cornerback for as well. So like he can play outside and inside. Maybe he's just your top depth guy. They're not paying him this huge contract where he has to start or you're gonna be freaking out. So, um let, let the best man win. Whether that's Phillips or, or or my my boy, you know, Mike Hughes. Uh, but I think the depth of this cornerback room just improved so much with, with Clark Phillips that you just it's hard to to dislike that selection in any way. It's just I think that's one of the one of the more impact selections, especially this season for the team. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. yeah, we got two seventh rounders. Um DeMarco Helms, probably the the one that's more immediately interesting in terms of the roster. Uh curious your thoughts on, on Helms coming in here, uh the safety out of Alabama.
0: Well, I, I know I like these two players a lot more than you because I know how much you hate seventh round picks due yes. to having due to do the live stream. It's nothing personal. And- yeah, yeah just, but... just, on principle, you just hate seventh round picks. Um, I, I like the Helms pick a lot. I, you know, I didn't pay a ton of attention to him at Alabama because he was kind of overshadowed by Brian Branch and uh, Jordan Battle. Uh, but, you know, going back and watching, you know, I like, you know, he's he's he, he's a guy that's going to thump you. Right. He, he yeah. seems to want to mix it up, come downhill, play the run. You know, sort of a classic cover three strong safety, even if he isn't necessarily had the sort of size that you ideally want uh, at that position being what what 6'1", 205, somewhere around there. Um, but, you know, he, he there's a lot of his game. I'm, I'm not saying he's going to be this player, but like there's like a Keanu Neal light version of him kind of in, in terms of how he wants to mix it up. And, you know, wasn't the world's greatest deep safety um, but you know, coming from that Alabama system, he's been well coached and he's disciplined and all that stuff. So like, I think he'll be able to function in that regard, but you saw in that Tennessee game where he got matched up one-on-one with Jalen Hyde a couple of times and it was, it was, it was not a good look. So it's like, yeah, you, you want to keep him away from like Chris Olave, you know, in, in terms of one-on-one coverages, uh, and he'll be just fine. Um, but you know, I, I, I like the Helms pick mostly because like he brings a different style of play at that safety position. You know, Jesse Bates is more of a deep safety. Richie Grant can kind of do it all. We saw Richie Grant probably be a little bit more reliable and consistent when he was playing closer to the line of scrimmage than he was in the, in the deep half of the field, but you know, has that versatility and I think Helms is just a, a more of that enforcer, that thumper type that I think will be a good combination with those two guys. And I feel like, you know, with Jalen Hawkins entering his contract year, this is probably the writing on the wall that the Falcons aren't necessarily going to bend over backwards to re-sign Jalen Hawkins or at least give them an insurance policy in the event that, you know, Jalen Hawkins doesn't have a great final year here in Atlanta and they do decide to move on from him and they have Helms who who can potentially slot in as that third Safety in dime looks or big nickel type of stuff and be more of that enforcer, uh, but also give you a guy that can be a contributor on special teams. That was something he did at Alabama. The Jovan Gwynn selection was a little surprising just because I didn't think the Falcons would go for another center guard type of player. And, you know, given his size limitations, um, you know, probably is going to be a center exclusively. I haven't really done a deep dive on this film uh, yet. Um, but apparently, you know, Dwayne Ledford kind of fell in love with him. That's kind of the story on him, you know, doing some coaching clinic down in South Carolina and was like, this is the guy. And so the, the Falcons were like, you know, Go for
1: Ledford it. loves Seventh this round. guy. And so, Go for it. you <laughs> know, and so
0: like, look, I, I'm not going to bash anybody that Dwayne Ledford loves. You know, that man. As I, I've told you, Kevin, like you know, his stock is as high as any human being in the city of Atlanta <laughs> at this point in time. Given what he did last year for this offensive line, going from basically one of the worst offensive lines of football to one of the best offensive lines of football, so um, if if that if we need to draft Jovan Gwynn to keep Dwayne Ledford happy. And I'll take it. And again, it's similarly to the Jalen Hawkins conversation. It does make you wonder a little bit about Matt Hennessy's future here in Atlanta, uh, especially if, you know, Matthew Bergeron winds up, you know, taking that left guard spot and, you know, Hennessey is is great depth because of that versatility. Uh, and so maybe the Falcons pencil, Jovan Gwynne sort of as that guy in the future. But I think given how many guards and, and centers the Falcons have right now on the roster that, you know, like they've invested resources in like Jalen Mayfield and Justin Schaefer and Matt Hennessy. I do wonder a little bit if, if Gwyn is, is a great bet to make the roster. But again, if, if he's a lead for guy, then, you know, the, he might, you know, stick because, you know, the tie goes to the, I was going to use a bad baseball analogy, but you, you, you guys get what I'm saying. Yeah. So like, we'll see how that goes. So I'm, I'm I'm definitely interested to do a deeper dive on his film. Cause I basically only watched like one game of his against Georgia and he was fine in that game. and just didn't stand out in any major way. Didn't struggle or was poor or anything. Just like, yeah, he's fine. And so I'll be curious to watch some of his better performances um, from the SEC this past year um, to sort of see. And, you know, I think, the theme with Helms and and Gwynn is like rather than taking a swing on upside, you know, some, you know, high RAS score player that came from a division two school in the late rounds, you just take, Hey, these guys were very productive at the highest level of competition in the SEC. And, you know, those seem to probably be better bets in round seven than, than necessarily taking the high upside athlete. So I, I like these picks just purely as like, seventh round picks, these tend to be a little bit better than the typical seventh round picks that the Falcons have, have taken in, in round six and seven. And I'm just like, all right, like yeah, he'll, he'll be he'll be in camp. I don't know if he's gonna make the team. Um, but I I, I like these bets a little bit better than that.
1: Yeah, yeah. T D had that legendary like uh Russell Gage, Foyer, Oluok, and uh like day three, but other than that, it was pretty much, you know, other than, other than Kamal Ishmael, uh, who who I was going to bring up when talking about DeMarco Helms a little bit, but yeah, I mean, on that topic, like I, I that's sort of how I, I view Helms a little bit. I think, you know, Helms has a little bit more versatility in terms of where you can play him. Kamal Ishmael was just more of that classic strong safety, but um, Helms even has a little bit more size than Ishmael uh, did. So that, that's nice and, and ran a little bit faster. So uh, I, I do think Helms does have a really strong chance to make the roster and that's a, if you got a 7th round pick that's you're you're putting in and, and it's like this guy has a really good chance to make the roster. That that's a good 7th round pick. So um I really like that addition. I I think he's a high floor player and safety depth can play multiple spots, even, you know, you don't want to match up on wide receivers necessarily. Maybe some of the bigger guys, but tight ends, I think he he did pretty well against mm-hmm. especially um and the Falcons don't really have that tight end specialist right now, so maybe Helms can can fill that role. Uh, but very physical gonna bring that gonna bring the boom and uh, you love that and then yeah with Gwynn it's like I like Gwynn um, I just wonder like is this guy gonna make the roster Um, it's just it's really crowded but if they love him and, and you watch a little bit of his tape but it's like he looks pretty clean you know that he doesn't look tiny compared to the other offensive linemen even though he is just a hair under 6'2 and a little under 300 pounds but um, you know at the NFL level those issues will be magnified and he might just be a center-only guy, and, and and if he is, then can you really carry him on the roster as as a backup if he's just a center? So he, he'll probably have to prove that he could play guard as well. Um, but, you know, feisty, what, two- or three-year team captain? Um, wouldn't bet against him necessarily, but yeah, it's that one I think is—, is he's got a tougher path to the roster for sure than, than Helms, who doesn't really have a lot of guys in front of him that you're like, well, he's going to have a tough time with this guy. Nope, nope, I think Helms, you could probably pencil him in, so— um interesting class though any of the before we take off any of the udfas that you wanted to touch on
0: yeah keelan harris the oklahoma baptist receiver and i only mentioned him because i was talking him with matt waldman of the rookie scouting portfolio before the draft and had him on to talk about some of the wide receiver prospects and he, he rattled off a bunch of names including keelan harris and i had never heard of keelan harris so i went and looked him up and i was like okay this oklahoma baptist guy that matt mentioned um and then i watched a couple of highlights apparently he he had a really good week at the nflpa bowl um you know and like i just recall matt hair matt waldman i'm sorry hyping up Alameda Zakias back in like 2018 as as like one of his guys and so i'm like okay well if matt waldman likes him i don't know i'll i'll give him the benefit of the doubt that's worked out pretty well with a another five nine you know udfa that was a you know uh just killing folks. I don't even know what division Oklahoma Baptist is. Like it's D2. division three. Yeah. It's D2? D2. Okay. Yeah. Right. NAI or whatever. Three. You know, yeah. But like he, I, I saw some of his highlights and he was just wrecking dudes. And it, it feels like the Falcons get one of these guys every year. One of these D2 receivers that we put a little bit of hype on. I can't remember the guy from, uh, was it like Tennessee tech, not Chris Rowland, but somebody else mm. that, yeah, a couple of years ago that we were like, Oh, this guy's going to be good and he didn't do anything. But so I'm hoping that he's more Elamide Zacchaeus than whoever that guy was. But uh, just because uh, Matt Waldman, you know, you know, mentioned him. I'm like, okay, that he's intriguing based off of that.
1: Yeah. I know everyone's really hyped about Justin Marshall, who definitely like looks the most like an Arthur Smith receiver of anybody in this group. Um, But yeah, another D2 guy who coincidentally played against, kelon harris in the same conference uh is xavier malone who was the the one that wasn't reported before the team announced the signings um he's five seven and a half Uh, 180 182 so you know there's that but uh he ran an official 436 at the pro day but apparently has been timed in the mid to low four twos uh and yeah if you want to watch comical tape uh just watch xavier malone at henderson state uh this is his stats, real quick. Uh, 67 catches for 1,382 yards. So that's almost 20 yards per reception. 15 touchdowns. And uh, he also threw a touchdown on a trick play. So, hey, uh, legend. Uh, anyone with the last name Malone, you know, I feel like is good. You uh, With D'Angelo Malone coming in, I-, I thought he was pretty good, too. So, um, yeah, it's. If they want more of a speed guy, you know, he's that uh, I think Keelon Harris has has some some interesting versatility there too and then, you know, Justin Marshall if they just want another Arthur Smith receiver, then they could go that route. So it really just depends yeah. and then we obviously got Penny Hart signed uh today or last week or sometime day or night. Uh he he was brought in. So um that one's interesting too. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people were surprised that they, there wasn't more emphasis on this wide receiver group. Um, I know we talked about it a lot. So were you surprised by that, that they didn't really get a wide receiver?
0: Yeah. I mean, when they didn't get one in round four, I was like, yeah, it's probably going to be, you know, I don't, I don't know if you're drafting a seventh round receiver. That's going to really do anything at, at that point. Um, you know, maybe, maybe you stumble upon the next, you know, Antonio Brown, it was a six round pick or something like that, but it, the history isn't great for like seventh round receivers. So um it was kind of like, okay, well, we're we're back on the Corey Davis train, right? You know, we're just waiting for Corey Davis to get cut or to get traded or whatever. So I, I, I do think the Falcons will probably address the wide receiver at some point in the next six months, whether it's, you know, in the coming weeks like they did last year with trading for Brian Edwards, whether that's, you know, if, if Corey Davis is a June 1st cut, by the jets or something like that, or a training camp trade, you know, I'm, I'm still holding out hope for, you know, Hunter Renfro, uh, uh, you know, as a slot King, uh, here to, to, to make, you know, what, what you loved about Alameda Zacchaeus, just dial it up 10 times and that's a Hunter Renfro. Um, so I, I do feel like the Falcons at some point will address that wide receiver position. They'll just kind of buy their time and, and try to get some value at that spot, uh, between now and, you know, no, the, um, Halloween trade deadline, so uh, I'm expecting something to happen. I just don't know when it's going to happen.
1: Yeah, we're we're officially on hashtag Corey Davis watch still. Um, but they did just sign Randall Cobb the Jets. So yeah, are, th- are they really keeping this man at 11 million dollars to be their wide receiver four? Like, are we are yeah. are they seriously going to do that? I just don't believe it.
0: I I think they're I think they're going to probably try to bring him to camp so they they can maximize the trade value. Hopefully, someone will come a calling. And then yeah, they'll just dump so. him for pennies, you know. At some point later this summer, I just so don't we'll think see.
1: anybody's trading for that contract. It's yeah, too much. Yeah, it's like, yeah. So and and they save almost all of it with a cut. So it's just like, are you guys really gonna play this game? You know, I think the Falcons are patient. I think they're they're like, we're gonna wait this out. Like this is gonna happen. I mean, it's,
0: it's similar kind of the Deion Jones situation last year, where it's yeah. like no one wants that contract, and the Falcons are like, uh, we'll just we'll just hold on to him so he doesn't go to the Saints. And we'll eventually trade him at some point. So I, I think that's maybe the Jets are trying to hope them, the market will eventually come for, yeah. for Corey Davis. We'll see.
1: Yep. But I, I think it's like Arthur Smith probably wants him more than anybody else. And I don't think he's willing to trade for him. So I'm curious if anyone else is. But uh, that would be a perfect addition if we could make that happen. So we'll we'll, we'll remain on hashtag Corey Davis watch until, until it, it happens. But I've, I've been saying this all offseason. So I just need this to happen just for me. <laughs> Uh, at this point. So whatever, however it occurs, I'll, I'll be, I'll be, you know, re- ready to celebrate, uh, Corey Davis, but Aaron really appreciate your time guys. He is Aaron Freeman at Falc fans, uh, host of the locked on Falcons podcast. Anything else you want to plug, man? Nope. Cool. Cool. Short and sweet. I like it. Uh, you know, friend of the show, Aaron Freeman, uh, obviously at this point as well. So, uh, no, I, we'll be... I should
0: plug, I am working on the Desmond Ritter article for the Falcons oh, oh, at an at article yes, I, I might write something for like the first time in like four months for the Falcoholic.
1: Well, that is worthy of plugging for sure. Uh, that, that is, that is big news, uh, breaking news. I need the Chiron for that, but, um, yeah, guys, thank you for tuning in. I'm Kevin Knight at Falcoholic Kevin. Uh, please do like it. Subscribe. If you're watching on YouTube, leave us that five star review on your podcast of choice. Follow the show at Falcoholic live on Twitter. Uh, you can support us on Patreon. If you're so inclined, patreon.com slash Falcoholic live for those exclusive perks, mostly ad free episodes. And, uh, also, some exclusive stuff, right? Uh, and yeah, want to thank our sponsor again. Uh, the show's presented by Bet Online. Uh, yeah, guys, we'll be back next time on Dirty Birds and Brews with some more Falcons content. Until then, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Uh, join the community Discord as well. Link's in the show description. Uh, until next time, guys, have a great day.